Well, thank you for braving the cold front and uh, coming here this evening. I, uh, I'm pretty excited about tonight, but I'm excited about every night, so, uh, or every Monday night, so I always say that, dang, yes, you're right, dang. But tonight I'm specifically excited because we're going to get to talk about the worst sin of all in the Bible. Woo! Yes, sin. Let's talk about sin. But before we go into that, I want to ask a question. Does anyone have siblings? Okay, okay. A lot of people, Damani, I don't think Damani knows a lot of what's going on tonight. He just keeps saying, what is that to everything that's being said? But uh, no, siblings are what some people have when parents have more than one child. And um, I just happen to have a couple siblings. By the way, Michael and Taylor, that was awesome. I uh, almost don't want to follow y'all because I was just... It was just really good, and so, but sadly, I do have to follow y'all, and so don't worry, this will be a descent down. It's like, that was top tier, and yes, but anyways, back to what we're talking about, siblings. I have a couple siblings. I'm the oldest. I have a couple pictures of my siblings. Uh, That's the Minor Prophets, Obadiah, yes, and that is a picture of me and my siblings. This is December. This past December, we went skiing. My brother doesn't want to show his face. Uh, As you can see, I have a frightening thing above my lip. Because a bunch of us grew mustaches last year. Yes. That is hideous. Save me, please. Miranda, let's go to the next one. Save me. Another picture. There we go. That is a much better picture. Uh, Katie, my brother's graduation. I'm the oldest. I am wearing a shirt with ze- zebras on it. Yes. My, I was borrowing my brother's shirt. And as you can tell, he has another animal on his shirt. He's very excited about animals at that in that time of his life. But... Uh, the reason I have these two pictures of my siblings that are basically like I was a pretty mean older brother. Um, they will tell you, they've told Katie many times, I was just very mean growing up. Uh, one of the stories that they will tell you when they talk about how mean I was is basically we got into an argument. That's what siblings do. We get into this argument. I get mad at my youngest brother, the one graduating. And so I take his Game Boy DS and his Pokemon game. This was, I can't remember which Pokemon it was. I know it was cruel. But it's get, it gets worse. I go and I take it and I hide it from him after the argument and I put it in my closet. But no lie, I forgot that I did that the next day. And so he was like, oh, where's my DS? And every time he would say it, I wouldn't think anything of it because I'm like, oh, I'm going to hope you find it. And so I remembered that I had it a year later. <laughs> and so... um. He was he's still mad about that. Uh, another thing that he is even more mad about is that we got into another argument. And there was a time in my brother's lives where they thought the greatest dessert of all was cereal. So they would eat cereal after many dinners. And so we're sitting at the table. They're eating cereal. And while they're eating cereal, in, this ar- in the midst of an argument, I just I'm like, oh, okay, you know what? So I walk over to my brother's plate. I act like I spit in his plate. And, or in his bowl of cereal, and then he freaks out. He's like, no way, you just spit in my cereal. He runs to my mom. My mom's like, did you spit in his cereal? That's disgusting. What's wrong with you? And I was like, no, I didn't spit in his cereal. Who would do something like that? And my other brother's looking at this like, no way, you just lied. You spit in his cereal, and now you've lied? What is wrong with you? You are crazy. And I'm like, look, I didn't spit in anyone's cereal. I'm not lying. Now, I knew I wasn't lying, but I was being quite deceitful. And so... I never told him. I did eventually tell him that I was, I, I was just joking and that I didn't spit in the cereal and that I only acted like I spit in the cereal. But I didn't tell him until 11 years later. <laughs> and so he, 
if you I was talking to my mom the other day and she was still she was saying again how mad he is about me spitting in his cereal. He brings it up many times a year. He is he just he needs a sermon on forgiveness. And so but that's what siblings do. Siblings fight, don't they? Siblings have arguments. Some of you have siblings and you have stories that are much more ridiculous and some stories that are not as ridiculous. You were nice with siblings. You you fought respectfully, which was not which is good. You bet your parents appreciated that. But that's what siblings do. They have tension. Tonight oh okay. Just gonna close on me like that. Oh, wigging out. Tonight, we're going to talk about two siblings in the book of Obadiah. We've been in this Minor Prophets series. If you've been with us for a couple of months, you've known that we've talked about the Minor Prophets, and that's where we'll be tonight. Go to your table of contents because you're probably going to struggle to find Obadiah because in most of your Bibles, Obadiah will be in on one page because it's that small. It's the shortest book in the Old Testament. So to understand Obadiah, we're going to look at five, we're going to set the scene by looking at five major characters. There's five main characters. If you understand who these characters are, you understand the whole, whole book. The first character is the nation of Edom, the nation of Edom. So in the Old Testament, there is Abraham and Sarah, and they have a couple of, they have a son, and his name is Isaac. Isaac marries a woman named Rebekah, and then Rebekah has, has two sons, twins, One's name is Esau. The other's name is Jacob. Esau was the eldest. He had descendants. All of his descendants became what is now known as the nation of Edom. That's what they became. They were a big, powerful nation. They were very strong. And their brother nation was the nation of Israel, our second main character. And they are the descendants of Jacob who ends up having his name changed to Israel. See how that works? And so we have Judah and Israel. Hope we, We've been talking about Judah and Israel. This is before they split up. They're just really known as all, all of them. They're just known as Israel combined. And so you have these two nations, and they're, 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 their history is just a history of strife. I mean, when they were born, they were fighting. It was literally when Esau was born, he was born first, Jacob was holding on to his heel. That's what the Bible tells us. And then their whole life, there was division between them. There was always like it was always a bond that they had that was tense, but it never broke until it finally did when the nation of Babylon came between them. Babylon is this big, bad nation. They've come up multiple times in many of the prophets that we've talked about. And they come into Israel and they lay waste to Jerusalem. And they lay waste so bad that they basically destroy it. Well, Babylon, who should have fought against Babylon? Who should have helped Judah when that happened? It should have been Edom. That's what the Bible says. Edom, instead of defending their brother nation, they help Babylon. They help tear it down. They're basically like, as we think about this sibling rivalry, they're basically like, oh, you're going to take my brother down? Oh, please, I will help you do it. I hate him. That's basically what they do. And so they pillage, they capture some Israelites. They've never treated Israel like this. They always had a good relationship until this moment. And so 
God raises up a prophet. And this prophet barely says anything to Israel at all. Most of what he has to say is stuff to Edom about how dare you not defend your sibling. And not only did you not defend them, but you actually helped bring down their ruin. And so God is furious. And the last character that we have in the story is God. Now, the reason we, I say it like this is because this is the, there is a very, so in the Old Testament, who's ever read Leviticus? All of it. It's a few hands. Who's tried to read Leviticus? A few more hands. It's a hard book to read. It's a book that is almost predominantly laws. Okay, so in Exodus chapter 20, the book before Leviticus, God starts to give Moses the Mosaic law or the Mosaic covenant. And in this covenant, he lays down all the law, but he starts in Exodus chapter 20 and it goes all the way into Leviticus chapter 25. That's really long for a bunch of laws. That was the entire Mosaic law that he gave them. And at the end of it, he made this promise to them. If you obey my covenant, I will protect you. If you obey all of this law, I'll protect your land, and I will make sure that no nations will come and take over you, Israel. I will look out for you. But if you don't obey, I will let you have what you deserve, and I'll let you get overrun by nations that are smarter, bigger than you. And so it happens. They don't obey. And Edom is watching all of this happen, and he's like, yes, thank you. I hate Israel. Oh, that is a, that's a pretty, it's a pretty tough scenario we have there. So, if this book was just about what Edom didn't do, we wouldn't have much to talk about. But the main thing that's interesting about this book is that this book tells us exactly why Edom didn't help their brother nation. And that's what all of tonight will be about. It was about pride. If we go and we read, it should be Obadiah first. First we'll say Obadiah 10 and 11. And this is, this is Obadiah speaking out against Edom. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. And then in Obadiah 3-4, it says exactly why they did what they did. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of rocks and make your home on the heights, you who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like an eagle and you make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So I got a long definition for pride. I went to Webster's 1828 dictionary because it's just really good. If you're ever curious and you want some, a really good definition, Noah Webster, the original Webster, his dictionary, you can just look up Noah Webster, 1828 Dictionary. It's so good. But this is what he says pride is, just so we can have a good definition for it. An inordinate self-esteem, an unreasonable egotism of one's own superiority, superiority in talents, beauty, wealth, accomplishments, rank, or elevation in office, which manifests itself in lofty airs, distance, 
reserve, and often in contempt for others. <laughs> I like that. An inordinate self of self-esteem, an unreasonable egotism because of good things that you can do or that you think you can do. Paul says in Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Paul says there are two conflict-creating kinds of pride. Selfish ambition, which says it's about me. And selfish, as selfish ambition is basically a strong desire to achieve things, but only to build up yourself. And vain conceit. The spirit of look at what I've done. An excessively, high an excessively high opinion of yourself and your abilities. Pride is when you are competing with everyone around you to prove just how great you are. How great your beauty is. How great your wealth is. How great your accomplish accomplishments are and your title. Trying always to make a good impression. The worst sin most Bible scholars theologians will say is the sin of pride. In fact, I really like how C.S. Lewis says it, and I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis often, and I wouldn't worry about trying to write down these quotes because they're long, but this is out of what many say is the very best chapter that you'll ever read on pride in any book. It's in Mere Christianity, and it's, it's from his pride chapter, and he says, a lot of people think that the center of Christian morals for sexual are about sexual immorality, or not drinking something, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Sexual promiscuity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that, they're mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Man. Ah. That is good. So we should have uh, Obadiah 3-4 next. We're just going to like kind of look at this. And starting right at the beginning, it says that the pride of your heart has deceived you. Pride is deceptive. It's a disease that everyone knows that you have it except the person who has it. Everyone else can see it, but you usually can't. Which I will say, if you want to know if you're prideful, by the end of tonight, you should probably ask some, the person who's closest to you. Ask them, do you think I'm prideful? Let them tell you, because they can see it more clearly than you can see it yourself. What did Eden take, their, take pride in? It says it right here. You who live in the clefts of rocks and make your home on the heights, you say to yourself, who can bring me down? You know what their home literally looked like? They lived in like these, a rock mountain. It's so cool. It's a place called Petra. Anybody ever visit Israel, visit Israel and been to Petra? Anyone? 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 No, no hands go up. I thought, I thought maybe one would go up. There we go. There's some pictures. They literally, like, look at that. They, they lived in, 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 like inside of rocks. 
Like, okay, back then what you did was you built fortified cities if you wanted to, like, be, be big and bad. You built a big wall. So Jerusalem had a big wall around it. And Jericho, they were like, oh, we're, we're not only going to have one wall, we're going to have two. So they built a wall around the whole city, and then they built another wall around the whole city. This was such a big deal when they, they defeated Jericho and Joshua. It's like, y'all beat the double-walled city. It's like, it's like, it's crazy. But <laughs> Edom is like, oh, no, no, no. Y'all are building walls around you? No, we're going we're gonna to live in a wall. Yeah, we're, yeah, beat that. It's like, look, oh, you just got a BMW? Oh, you just got a Suburban? Nah, bro, I just got a helicopter. Yeah. Look, I don't need, look, I got my own rope just like from the one from the Matrix. I don't, even, I don't even need a helipad. That's how I roll. That's what they're saying. Like, look, no one can take us down. You see this little pathway? that you have to cut through, that's how you get to Edom. Think about taking an army through there. They were like, no one can touch us. They were known as being tough. They were very proud of what they had. This raises a question. What does this have to do with us? What do you take pride in? What is the source of your hope and trust is it your identity is your identity is is it in your grades how well you're doing in school is it your clothes and your style which if you see wearing a jersey that does not match there's a reason behind this don't worry I'm not just excited about Michael Jordan he's a uh, ask me another day about how I feel about Michael Jordan but <laughs> is your identity in your past or your present, in the things that you've accomplished. Maybe some people, I've, I've seen Christians be proud of how sinful their past lives were. Oh, yeah, man, when, look, I used to do this, and I used to do this, and I used to do this. I, I, I did it all. Some people are legitimately proud of that. Is your pride in your intellect? You feel like you see through Christianity, you see through Christians, or you see Christ God for who he is. Maybe your pride is in being right all the time. Maybe your pride is in being right all the time, thinking that you know everything. Maybe your pride is in your goodness. You're proud of how much you pray, and so you look down on others because of how much you pray or how much you read or how well you serve. What is the thing where when things get hard in your life, you kind of take peace in this thought, like, ah, oh, at least I am this, or at least I do this. At least I'm not like, is it God? Or is it something that could be seen like a sick rock city that they lived in? Not only do we have to ask when we think about pride, like what is like what causes pride, but we also have to ask what does pride do? Pride is stuck on comparison and competition. That's why I have this stupid jersey on i did not think this was a wise fashion choice don't throw anything at me christian i it living a life of pride is like living a life wearing a jersey all the time where you're walking to every person around you or at least the people that you're focused on the most and you are busy comparing yourself and competing with them i love how c.s lewis says it i'm gonna go to him multiple times tonight 
If you try to figure out how prideful you are, ask yourself, how much do I dislike dislike it when, s when people snub me or refuse to take notice of me or interfere in my life when it doesn't concern them or when they patronize me or show off in front of me or in front of me? The point is that when you're prideful, you're in competition with everyone. You're always comparing, always competing. And he's, he goes on to say, we say people around are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or cleverer or good looking, they would be nothing to be pr there, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. I don't know, sometimes I get on social media and I'm like, ooh, so-and-so has that many likes. Dang, how can I get more than them? Or how can I get like, oh, I, okay, maybe I don't want the most likes. Maybe I just want a higher, I want to be in the upper tier of likes. You know, I don't need to have like the most likes. I just need to have like, I need to be in the upper tier. I just want to be noticed. And then when people like me enough, then I feel validated. I don't know, some of y'all look at me like I'm crazy. Like, I know this. I know this matters for everyone. I know it. I know it matters for myself. Pride is about always exalting yourself. That's what they're doing. They're over here and they're looking at like, who can touch us? In Obadiah 3.4, do we have it? Mm, yes. Who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like an evil eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. They're trying to make themselves appear and be more than what they are. I, I heard a story about this, and I thought it was really funny. It was, so this colonel, this guy, he was in the Army, and he had just been made colonel. So he's in this new position, and he's all, he's all excited about it. And so somebody walks up to him, and they're like, hey, Private Johnson is outside, colonel. He wants to speak with you. And he says, yeah, hold on, everyone. He said, hold on. And then he waited for the guy to walk up to his door. And as soon as he walked up to his door, he said, yes, Mr. President. Okay, right away, Mr. President. He wasn't talking to anyone. He, I mean, he, the phone was dead. But he's like, right away, Mr. President. Yes, okay, Mr. Pre President. We'll be right on it. And he said, Private Johnson, come in. Uh-huh. Okay, Mr. President. And he says, hold on. I'm, in, I'm on a phone call with the president. Wait a second. I'll uh, be with you in a second. In fact, hold on. Mr. President, hold on. Make it quick. What do you need? <laughs> and then the guy says to him, hey, Colonel, I, I just came in here to connect your phone. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what pride does. It makes us look more foolish. In fact, Proverbs 11.2 says, pride comes, when pride comes, disgrace comes. When we try to exalt ourselves, the only thing we do is we make ourselves look more silly in the end. One of my favorite stories, one of my favorite, it's not a story, it was a parable that Jesus told about two men who went into the temple to pray. It's in Luke chapter 18, and it says, and Jesus said, 
To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. And the, tax and the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I have or all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven. And he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. One's man prayer wasn't even heard. That's what he says. He said God didn't even hear it. And it makes sense why he didn't hear it. His, his prayer never actually went vertical. It was only horizontal. It was only out here. That was the only opinion that he cared about. Who's out there? Who can I see? Are we living vertically? Are we only looking at the people around us and saying, once I overtake so-and-so or once they see me, then I'll matter. Once I have their approval, then I'll be important. Or are we living vertically? Where the one that we're looking at, the person's opinion that we care the most about is God. Are you going to care more about God's opinion of you? Or are you going to care more about your other people's opinion of you? Lord Jesus, help me to be someone who cares more about your opinion of me. So going back to verse 3 and 4, it says, it says that God said, from there I will bring you down. Uh, this, is, this blows me away. He says, though you soar like an eagle. And, he says, and then at the end he says, he says, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. From there. You can never get high enough to overtake. Like, like God can always reach down to wherever you are and bring you down from there. I don't know. I just, I just thought that was crazy. It just it blew me away. What I'll say about this is, guys, God hates pride. There's a reason why it's the worst sin in the Bible. It's he hates it. He abhors it. It is, it is actually pretty uncomfortable to read how, how engaging and welcoming Jesus is to people who seem so lost and so steeped in sin and how hard and tough he speaks to people who are prideful and arrogant. Jesus' worst words are for the prideful. And it is all throughout the Bible. James 4.10, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Psalms 10, 4, this one is, man, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. and all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, this is what the Lord says. Let us not boast in, the, in their wisdom or that let... Let not the wise boast in their wisdom. Let not the strong boast in their strength or the rich boast in their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. 
You know why God hates pride so much? Because it brings division. It brings division. It separates us from one another, and it separates us from him. Pride is awful. It is so bad. C.S. Lewis, told you I'd go back to him often. Got a long quote this time. Pride creates enmity. Other sins sometimes bring people together. Isn't this crazy? You see this on High Street. You see other people do certain sins, and they're, have, they're having fun doing it, but you don't see that with pride. Pride separates, and it isolates. It drives you to not trust people. It drives you to not see clearly. I'll go back to the quote. They bring a sense of laughter, fun, a sense of community. The Christians are right. It is pride which, which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Other vices may, have some, may sometimes bring people together. You may find good fellowship and jokes and friendliness among drunken people or overly critical people. But pride always means enmity. And not only enmity between man and man, but enmity to God. Enmity with God. Because you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know yourself as that, and you know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God. A proud man is always looking down on things. And people... And, of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something or someone that is above you. (sighs) Clive, man. That is really good. His first name is Clive. If if you've ever met him, you would know that. (laughs) But that's why God hates pride. Pride is the only thing that, that God can't work with. He can work with the overstressed college student. He can work with an alcoholic. He can work with a lot of things. He can work with the he can work with the child abuser. But he cannot work with a prideful person. Because a prideful person won't let themselves be worked with God. A prideful person will separate themselves. Basically, the only thing God can do with someone who is proud is bring them down. And then maybe he can start talking to them if they let him. I mean, Psalms 10 says it. A prideful person has no room for God. They will never seek him out or ask for his, for, or for his forgiveness or mercy. I like what the, a counselor said. I quoted him. I can't remember the name, so I just got to say counselor. Pride really is a prison that perpetuates anger, hurt, foolishness, while keeping at bay the restorative, restorative effects of conviction, humility, and reconciliation. Pride is a prison. It is. Woo! Man, it is hot in here. It is uncomfortable. <sighs> I'm, I had to be hard on pride because the Bible is so hard on it that I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't be soft on this. I couldn't lighten it. I wanted it to be as uncomfortable as the Bible makes it is. The Bible is, I, I mean, guys, if you just Google pride, scriptures on pride, you will exhaust yourself, and you'll be amazed that there are so many scriptures against pride. Pride is, 
man, I could just go on and on about that. But let me let me say this. I, I know I've, I know I haven't let this up, and I know that I'm like just driving. I'm beating a dead horse. This horse died many many years ago. I know I am beating maggots, but I have to say this. I have to, and then I promise to leave to to move on. Sometimes when I think of pride and I hear pride talked about, I think, oh, you know what? They just had too much. That's why they became prideful. Look, they just were too rich. Like, only the people who get really prideful are people who are super rich or super good looking or super skilled at what they do. And then it's too hard not to become prideful. That's what I wonder to myself. But that's not really how it works. Pride is much easier. And it's not something where, like, because sometimes, like, the super rich person isn't going to show up to God and then God's going to apologize to them at the judgment and be like, hey, look, I get, look, I just gave you too much money. I knew when I gave you that extra hundred million that you wouldn't be able to not be prideful. It was my fault. I should, if I could do it over again, I would, I would change it. That's not the problem. The problem isn't that you are too skilled or too good, good at something. The problem is that it's very easy to be prideful in this world. All you have to do is live in this world just a little bit. And when you get hurt, then pride becomes really easy. Some of you are like, ah, oh, what are you talking about, Jordan? Genesis 25, 23. This, this scripture kind of brings this whole thing together. It says, the Lord said to her, this is, this is, this is a prophecy over Edom and Israel, Jacob and Esau. This is a prophecy over their lives, what their lives would be like and what the lives of their nations would be like, their relationship. It is this. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. The two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Mm. From the beginning, Edom had a very special destiny, that they would be servants to their sibling nation. And they didn't want that. They were strong and gifted by God, and they used their might to build themselves up rather than build up the destiny that he gave them. Are y'all realizing what's happening? This, this is really good. And there are three questions that I stole from Desiring God. This is like a website, John Piper, a great website. If you ever want to, you know, dabble, some of y'all read on it. But these are three questions that are great questions for pride. And I'm going to ask these three questions to Edom and try to help make it clear how easy it would become to, be, to become prideful if you're in Edom's place. The first one is, whose sin are you focused on? I could think about Edom and the sin that they're focused on. They're not, they're not thinking about them as a nation. They're thinking about Israel. God, how could you, you picked this awful people that you said you would protect as long as they obeyed you, but they don't obey. They go so far as to do things like child sacrifice. You would pick them over us? How dare, God, why, why should I look out for a, a silly sibling like that? This, this nation is awful. Why should I defend them? When I think about what is the focus of your joy and your security and your contentment, I could tell you what their focus was, that they would be a great kingdom, that they would soar in the heights, and everybody would look back and say, oh, yeah, those people who lived in the rock kingdom, yeah, they were mighty. They were awesome. 
They don't want to be known as for their relationship with God or for being servants to the great nation of Israel. No, no, no. They had to build up their own kingdom. Who is the focus of your service? Is everything that you do about you or is is it about someone else's kingdom? It says what their focus was. Their focus, their focus was on them. And they went so far as to help Israel be destroyed when they were taken over. They hated Israel. And how many times do we see that with sibling rivalries? Oh, God, why would you bless my brother? Look, look, man, everybody is praising him. And everybody says, oh, he is this and he is that. Look, I see what he is like at home. I see how he treats our mom. I see, I know what he's really done. Everybody is always singing this bum's praises. God, why do you, no, I will not support him. We see it all the time. It's quiet in here, but I know it's quiet in here because not only are y'all good listeners, but also some of you know, some of you see how this kind of hits home a little bit. This is a very hard sermon to prepare for because I was extremely convicted, extremely, because of the pride that is in my own heart. It is overwhelming. The past 18 months, for anybody who is close to me, some of you know, they've probably been the worst 18 months emotionally of my entire life, Not e- and there's nothing really even close. It's been awful. And the worst part about it by far is the fact that I have made things so much harder because of my pride. Because the opinion of the people around me is what I care more about than God's opinion. Because I'm so busy comparing and competing and trying to prove myself to the world. I walk out of the house and the Lord tells me that I'm a new creation in him and yet I put on this stupid jersey trying to go and compete with the world around me to go and prove to people how worth it I am when God is telling me, Jordan, I love you. What are you doing? You don't need that. Bro, you got you got my approval already. The game is over. And you're trying to prove yourself to the people around you. So I'm going to take the jersey off. Jersey. This is not just for tonight. I don't want to wear that jersey anymore. And my prayer for you tonight is that you would take off the jersey if you know you have one on and that you'd stop competing. So, all right, let's let's move on. I told you I'd, I told you I'd stop and I'll be faithful to what I promise. I'm I'm pretty much I'm pretty close to done. Probably got about Eight more minutes. I knew I'd be longer tonight. Y'all, y'all forgive me. You know, try try not to go too long usually, but tonight I was going to be a little bit longer. So how do you do this? How do we not be prideful? Well, I got, got a few suggestions up here. First, admit that you are proud. God is God and you are not. The first step to humility is to admit that one is proud. It's okay. You 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 don't have to be all that. In fact... This is a true story. I was I was going to change it, and then Katie was like, oh, you should probably just tell the tr- the real one. So guy comes to me one day, and, you know, we're, we're close, and this is, don't worry, this isn't at WVU, so you can just go ahead and remove that from your mind. This is back at the other school I went to, and 
he's like, hey, Jordan, man, I got a problem. And I'm like, all right, what's up, man? He's like, hey, look, I am really struggling with pride. And I'm like, really? What's, what's up, man? He said, yes, dude, I know it. Look, so I go to Chi Alpha every week, and I go to small group, and I've come to realize this, that I am, dude, I'm probably the best-looking guy in Chi Alpha. <laughs> and I, I'm just really prideful. I mean, I'm looking at the other guys. Look at how, how big they are. Look, I'm swole. I look good. I got, like, boyishly good looks, man. Like, what do you think I should do? <laughs> I was like, well, bro, you're, first of all, you're ugly. So <laughs> you just need to, like, chill right there because you really are ugly. But, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> I, I, but what I did say, I, in a much nicer way, I said, bro, you're not all that. And you just really need to realize that first. And it's okay. You're not all that. That is not only a good message for him, that is a good message for everyone here. Rewind, press play. We aren't all that. And it's okay. It's extremely okay. You're talented, you're valued by God, you are gifted to do special things for him, and he believes greatly in you. But you aren't all that. And you don't need to be all that. You don't need to prove to people how all that you are. I don't need to, Jordan, you don't need to prove how all that you are. Not realizing that you aren't all that, and it, it's okay, and that it can actually be about someone else and their kingdom and their glory, that is the safest, that's like one of the safest places you can be in this world. When you can say, you know what, I don't need to be all that. I can be a faceless name. I can be an et cetera in your kingdom, Lord God. And that's enough for me. <laughs> the second thing, though, remind yourself that God's opinion matters most. Just say it to yourself. Say it out loud. Hey, you know what, God's opinion matters most. Katie says this all the time. It doesn't drive me crazy. I'm always convicted every time she says it. She's like, oh, yeah, God's opinion matters most. I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to remember that, too. Yes, just Keep reminding yourself that. Say it. Third thing, exalt others above yourself. This is highly practical, but this, is, this, is, this will heal your heart. Some of us are prideful because we've been hurt by people, and we've let that hurt lead to bitterness, and we have led that bitterness to lead to an inordinate view of ourselves, and we can't just let things go. So identify who they are. If it's one or multiple people, just, just write it down, and then start praying for them. But pray blessings over their life. Pray for them to, to be successful in their classes. Or if they're in a sport, let they be successful in intramurals or the sport that they play, or that they, their relationships would go well, that, they would, that God would pour his blessings on their life and that he would reveal himself to them in ways that you've never seen God reveal himself to you. Pray extreme blessings over their life. And then, and then see how you can serve them. Don't just pray, but then go and see how you can serve them. How can you help them? How can you build them up? And then also start honoring them publicly. Start saying things about them, about how awesome this person is, how great they are. Speak up about how awesome this person is. You will see God remove some hard things in your heart in an unbelievable way if you do that. All right. Last 
focus on how you can follow Jesus today. I'm not going to go way into it, but there is a story at the end of John where, G- where Peter has already bailed on Jesus, and Jesus is kind of bringing him back into the fold and saying, hey, I want you to follow me, and these are, this is what I want you to do. And he's giving him, like, this big destiny and this big call. It's really cool. But then at the end of it, Peter can't just let it stay there. He has to start playing the comparison game. And so John 21, 22, he says, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if you want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. He's saying, what about John? What about him? What about all of them around me? And Jesus is like, look, just follow me. And today, ask Lord, how can I follow you? And don't worry about what the don't worry about what the other small group leader is doing. Don't worry about what other people around you are doing. Just ask, Lord, how can I follow you? And let that be enough. Mm. All right, I'm pretty much done. The uh, the band can go ahead and come back up. Um, but I am going to keep talking for like 15 minutes, so I'm going to talk while y'all while y'all you know play music and stuff because you know when people play music it makes it sound better you know that's the only reason why we do that so some of y'all are like man that was like that was kind of that's kind of harsh this is a hopeless book it is not hopeless at all it is actually extremely encouraging extremely one reason why it's so encouraging is because of a joke that I love and I tell all the time. I think it's hilarious. Most people don't think it's funny. I'm going to say it right now. Y'all probably aren't going to laugh, but we'll just go ahead and say it. So Carl Barth, a theologian, someone asked him, hey, hey, why do you believe in God? And he's like, oh, why do I believe in God? Oh, because of the Jews. And I'm like, what? The Jews? Why? And he said, well, when's the last time you saw an Edomite or a Hittite in New York? <laughs> that is so good, isn't it? Isn't that such a funny joke? Timmy, you're looking at me like unfazed. No, no. <laughs> Many un- people unfazed. That is such a good joke. When's the last time you saw a Hittite in New York? An Edomite in New York? God said, I'm going to bring you down. 900 years later, that prophecy was fulfilled, and Edom was destroyed forever. Their kingdom is no longer inhabited. There is no kingdom of Edom. When's the last time you met an Edomite or a Hittite? The Edomites were the greatest empire. I mean, the Hittites were the greatest empire at the, uh, for a season. There was no one bigger than them, and we don't, we don't see any of them. But yet, I'm sitting at WVU campus on the layer green yesterday talking to someone, and a Jewish family is running around around me. All the kids wearing their yarmulkes and everything, and they're having fun. (sighs) (laughs) The Israelites were removed from their home, and it looked hopeless for them. And Edom is taunting them saying, we got the last laugh, but we don't see any of them today. But the Jews have been the most persecuted group of people in the history of mankind. There have been so many systematic annihilations and genocides on this group of people, and they're running around around me, playing the protection of God. As Michael said, the sovereignty of God. 
No one can stop. No one can close a door that he will open. No one can stay his hand. If he says yes, this people is here today, protected by God still. When's the last time you saw an Edomite or a Hittite in New York or in Morgantown? Come on. That's a funny joke. All right. Only Michael. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I'll say this and I'll be done. Cool thing about this story is that, you know, it actually seems super discouraging because you're like, ah, yeah, well, I guess the Edomites, I guess they're, (laughs) I guess they're, I guess they were just prideful and that was the end of the story for them. But that's not the end of the story. They did lose their kingdom. They did. But, and it says this at the very end of Obadiah, God's last word is never a word of judgment. His last words are always words of hope. No matter how hard the judgment was before, hope is always his last word. If you haven't heard hope, then you probably haven't heard the full message because it always ends with hope. He says this in Obadiah, and I'm just going to read verse 21. He's talking about how they're going to occupy their land again, the Israelites. And it said, the deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. The deliverers will go up. Many theologians say that that word deliverers is an immediate prophecy and a prophecy about the future. They did go and occupy their land, and they were brought there by deliverers. But we have an ultimate deliverer who went, and he went and died the death that we should have died and lived the life that we should have lived. And I said at the beginning that there was a promise that God said, if you obey me, I will protect you. But that all those laws, God knew. God knew that they wouldn't do it perfectly. And so he had always planned to send his son. And his son did come. And the second part of that promise is, if you disobey me in the Abrahamic covenant, it literally says this, if you disobey me, I will die for you. And he goes and has the most unbelievable imagery and picture to make Abraham sure that God promised that he would die for him and all of his descendants and all the world if he didn't come through with this promise. Look, pride is something that you're always going to be fighting your entire life. Doesn't matter how saved you are, you always have to be aware, oh, Lord, help me not to turn my attention to myself and my own kingdom. Help me to turn my attention back to you. You're not going to have it all together all the time. And there's grace for you still. Because Jesus made it possible. And the Edomites did lose their kingdom. But from what I know, that promise was not only for us and the Israelites. It was also to the Edomites. And all the descendants of Edom, of Edom could go and be in this kingdom the greatest kingdom of all, the kingdom of God. If you believe on the Lord Christ, you will be saved and you will be able to be a son and a daughter in that kingdom. 
and he can save you from your pride and he can save you from everything else. Just admit it to him. Lord God, my prayer tonight was, Lord, that this, this, there would be revelation and that there would be freedom for some people tonight. Lord, I don't know if Jordan Goody was the only person who was supposed to hear this sermon, but I knew that I had to say it, Lord God. Free us from the bonds of pride and the prison that it is and help us to choose your kingdom and help us not to have our own name soar in the heights, Lord God. And help us not to be consumed with the sin and the success of the people around us or the people that we're competing with. Help us to take, a, take that jersey off. Oh, Lord God, there is freedom for us all. I thank you for the freedom that you have ushered into my life. Would you usher it into our lives? Help us to be honest with you. Help us to be honest with you, Lord God. If there is pride in our hearts, Help us to tell you. Help us to see it. Help us to confess it. I pray this in Jesus' name.